You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Renfield. Mr. Renfield, welcome. I am Dracula. You will make a very good assistant. No, he's evil. We will protect you. You have the word of the most trusted institution on earth, the Catholic Church. Your sole purpose in life is to serve me. Now, let's eat. I just want a normal life again. No, 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 no. Alright everyone, you were just listening to the trailer for Renfield, and the story is as follows. Renfield, a tortured aide to his narcissistic boss, Dracula, is forced to procure his master's prey and do his every bidding. However, after centuries of servitude, he's ready to see if there's a life outside the shadow of the Prince of Darkness. The film is starring Nicholas Holt, Nicholas Cage, Aquafina, Ben Schwartz, Shere Agdachlu, and Adrian Martinez. It is directed by Chris McKay and it is written by Ryan Ridley. Here to join me today for this podcast review, I have Meredith Loftus. Hello there. Josh Parham. Hello, hello. And Dan Bear. Let's eat. Should I just do this entire review in Nick Cage's interpretation of Dracula? Because I feel like that would be quite funny <laughs> to just simply, you know, just be over the top theatrical and say, Welcome to the next best picture podcast. I think that's even a strain for Nicolas Cage to do all the yes. I think if we asked him, I think he would. I think he would indulge. For sure. This is a silly movie. This is a fun movie. Uh, there's a couple of things to talk about with this one, especially considering the fact that I think for me, the thing about Renfield that I found to be most fresh and exciting was that this wasn't a straight up remake. Uh, it wasn't meant to be sort of a retelling of something that we've seen a bunch of other times before. It was meant to be a fresh and new interpretation of these classic horror universal movie characters. And in doing so, they found this hook to portray through the lens of a codependent relationship. You got the two Nicks here, Aquafina, Ben Schwartz. Pretty entertaining cast. Chris McKay has given us films like the Lego Batman movie and the Tomorrow War and here he is flexing some new muscles that we haven't seen him do before in those other films. But maybe you could say he's translating some of his work in the world of animation with Lego Batman and kind of bringing it here because this movie is over the top. It borders on camp at times. I don't think it's meant to be taken entirely seriously. But what did you all think of it? Merritt, if we could start off with you. Did you enjoy Renfield? Was it your cup of tea? What did you think? Film was very much my cup of tea, or should I say martini filled with human blood, as Nick Cage was sporting uh, in this movie. It was delightful. Ever since I saw the trailer and I saw who was attached to it, I was like, okay, I'm going to have fun with this, regardless of how this goes. Um, I saw the movie last night, and yeah, I thought it was great. I love the fact that they took a look at this relationship between Dracula and Renfield and treated it as like a codependent relationship. I love that Nicholas Holt was like seeking uh, help for this, uh, going to like a support group and framing a lot of the chaos that ensues through that. 
I do think there are, are a couple storylines that I feel like one of them should be cut uh, and not have both. And I'm not sure whether it's with Aquafina's character or with Ben Schwartz's character. But at the same time, they were very entertaining. I thought the fight scenes were a lot of fun. For me, ever since I saw The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, when it comes to Nicolas Cage, I just want him in this lane. And him as Dracula, no notes. Perfect. I laughed every time I saw him. Some of the expressions that he was making as he was kind of like, mocking Renfield or listening to Renfield try to like set some boundaries and like this is a bad relationship was some of the funniest things I've ever seen um so I the theater I was in just had like a blast with it and I think that totally like played into my enjoyment of the movie um so on the whole I really had fun with Renfield I don't think it's a perfect movie but I like seeing these actors just like, they, it looks like they were all having a lot of fun and knew exactly what type of movie they're in. Okay. Dan Baer, did the same hold up for you? Were you able to take Renfield on its own terms and enjoy it as much as Merida? You know, I did for the first few minutes. Oh, only minutes. <laughs> this movie has a really great premise. And it starts off so well um, in setting up that premise. I especially love the little sequence at the beginning where we basically recreate uh, Todd Browning's original film of Dracula uh, with Nicolas oh, Cage. Oh, with the black and white in the as- four by three aspect ratio? Yeah, when he like is yeah. he's not playing Dracula, he is playing Bela Lugosi as Dracula. And it's fucking fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I love everything about that. I love everything about the setup, but then when we get done to like actually telling the story of this movie, uh, I I was left wanting more. Nicolas Cage is like ten out of ten as advertised. Like he, if all you're coming to this movie for is to see him just really sink his teeth into the role of Dracula, which is one that he has always wanted to play. You will leave very satisfied because he's incredible. He is doing the most. And that is exactly how we want Nicolas Cage in this kind of role. He's brilliant. It's great. I I can't say enough about how good his performance is and the makeup work on him incredible out of this world absolutely loved like because the whole concept is that he's you know like he is being reborn or rebuilt or he's coming back from having almost been truly killed by these priests and the the rotting or almost decomposing qualities of his body it looks so good but the movie around him is just and uh, like Comedy is the most subjective thing in the world, but for me, most of this movie was just not funny. Like, it just didn't have strong enough jokes. And what jokes it had were delivered well, but it just wasn't enough. It wasn't 
funny enough. It wasn't wild enough when we weren't in one of these fantastically gory fight scenes, which those were fun and had clever moments. I especially loved like the when Renfield like impales this guy on his own arms, like rips them out of his socket and then stabs him with them. Great. Loved that. But outside of that, it just, it drags the material is just like going, hitting the same beats over and over. And by the end, I was just, I was bored. I was bored. I'm sorry. And I love all these people, but Nicholas Holtz and Aquafina have like almost no chemistry. The jokes they have are not good and they don't deliver them that well. The only reason to really see this movie is Nicolas Cage. And like he's worth the price of admission, but the rest is just so disappointing. I was I was really sad. Okay. If I know one actor in this movie that is truly beloved by a person on this podcast, it is the love that Josh Parham has for Nicholas Holt. <laughs> this man will go to the ends of the earth for Nicholas Holt. See any movie that he is in, and I know that Renfield is probably one of those movies. Although, I think, Josh, you were also too, I would say, lured in by Nicolas Cage's interpretation as Dracula. So the question I have on my mind is, were the two Nicks enough for you? Yeah, uh, well, first of all, yes, I will see literally anything with Nicholas Holt. I saw Tolkien in theater, so that shows you my dedication to Nicholas <laughs> You were the one. Yes. <laughs> For the record, I saw it in theaters, too. <laughs> yeah, so, but that just shows you I will literally see anything with Nicholas Holt in it. And, yeah, him and Cage actually were both intriguing elements to me because Cage is a fascinating actor even when – He's in movies that aren't that great. He is still such a magnetic presence in them that you still find yourself drawn to to whatever he's doing. And, yeah, this movie, I think I would say that overall I had a good time with it. And most of that is because of what Cage is doing. I absolutely agree with what's been said before. His performance is so so captivating and you are just drawn in every single time he is on screen and so much so that when he's not the movie definitely feels like it is missing a huge chunk of some engaging elements in it and even though i actually do think holt does give a good performance himself i think there's actually some moments where he is required to even be a little bit more on the dramatic side in this comedy and i think he actually handles that quite well I do think that this plot that is surrounding that relationship is just not as interesting. There is this mob dealing and you know, mob versus cops in this storyline that I I agree just never really fa- I found to be all that interesting and it felt pretty broadly drawn and shallow and like it served the purpose of I think of trying to do something outside of that central relationship but to be completely honest I thought it was strong enough that it could have carried the movie on its own and it felt like we were just giving material weak material to these other actors that couldn't really save it all that much and it did get a little tiresome and laborious in those sections But I think this is an occasion where when the movie is working, I was having a lot of fun with it. I did enjoy 
the the two Nicks in here. I do think that there are some very fun, gory set pieces. And when it does land with the jokes, I I did laugh and I did have fun with it. So it's it's a bit disposable, I will admit. It's not really a movie that I think is going to stick with me all that much, and I don't highly recommend it, but I did enjoy myself in the moment, and so for that, I do recognize that it kind of did its job, even though it could have absolutely have been better. I think I'm stuck somewhere between Dan and you, Josh, where I had fun with the two Nicks in this movie quite a bit, and any time the movie focused on their central relationship as Dracula and his familiar Renfield, or a.k.a. Servant, this movie I actually thought was doing something different for a change. I really like the framing device, as Meredith said, of this codependent relationship. Nicholas Holt going to this uh, self-help group and, you know, expressing to people his relationship with Dracula without saying that it is Dracula and hearing everyone in the self-help group saying, oh, so you have a bad relationship with your boss, I understand, <laughs> and, like, using these vague terms. I mean, I think the movie opens up, if I remember correctly, with uh, one member of the group proclaiming her boyfriend or husband or whatever it is. She says, he's a monster. <laughs> I was like, I was like, okay, this is clever. This is pretty funny here because we actually have a real-life horror movie monster. I say real life, you know what I mean. Uh, but it's, to me a lot of fun when it leans into that central part of the story. Once we start getting off into Nicholas Holt's relationship with Aquafina's character and the side plot involving uh, Sherer Agadashlu and her son, played by Ben Schwartz here, as like this mob family and how they get tied into everything, the movie just lost me. Completely, completely lost me. I completely agree with 100% clarity that Nicholas Holt and Aquafina kind of shockingly have no chemistry together. So I'm aligned with you on that one, Dan. And yet, I also thought that at times, you know, Meredith, if you were saying which of the two plot lines would you get rid of, you know, I, I actually did think that Ben Schwartz was doing a comedic performance that is so broad, so over the top, that there did seem to be a sense of unity in how what he was doing was lining up with what Nicolas Cage was also doing. So in a way, I was kind of accepting the movie on its own terms in, to in terms of tone. So it wasn't like, you know, they felt like they were in different movies together. And because of that sense of unity in the tone of the performances and the broad range of comedy, I was able to enjoy it at times. Uh, some of these action sequences are just completely ridiculous and needlessly over the top in terms of their gore for no reason. But still, I was having fun with it. I did think that it was a little too uh, lowbrow for my taste in terms of its humor. And I agree with Dan. There were lots of points where I did not laugh. Um, but overall, the performances from Nicolas Cage and Nicolas Holt did save it for me. In fact, <laughs> this might sound a little weird when I say this. But you know whose performance Nicolas Cage's Dracula reminded me of while I was watching this? Mm. Who? Bette Midler in Hocus Pocus. Oh, God. Oh. 
<laughs> There's something just about the over the top yet committed to the bit sense of um, playing this supposed to be sort of imposing and threatening, but also silly villain that I, I found to be so entertaining because of the star who was attached to it. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey, and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Yeah, I was a little more in the um, thinking of Glenn Close's Cruella DeVille camp. But you know what? I, Same I vibes. Yeah. 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 Just like going just taking this ridiculous villain and saying like fuck it and going so far over the top that you know <laughs> you're basically in another universe and like ben schwartz god bless him said i'm gonna match nicholas cage beat for beat and like <laughs> good luck pal no one can you can't do that can't. like but good on you for trying because like he actually was like if everyone had been more in line with what he was doing, maybe that mob plotline would have been more enjoyable. <laughs> yeah, because also too everything involving like Aquafina, uh, she's actually having to play the straight character in this movie who isn't giving an over the top performance and isn't matching the other characters in terms of the quirks and idiosyncrasies that they have with their characters. And I think that actually does a disservice for her because she is Aquafina, and we know how funny she can be i feel that they should have cast someone a little bit uh what's what we're thinking of here less flashy in that role it definitely felt like trying to fit a round peg into a square hole kind of thing like she i like she felt like aquafina like it still was like very recognizably her and her energy and mannerisms and everything but it just wasn't working somehow she wasn't quite able to like get fully on board with the tone or figure out how to make the character work or maybe it was just like that dialogue is just really bad man <laughs> yeah the fact that they were trying to add this like dramatic layer with the stuff with her sister and her dad being killed by this mob family like it just felt like they were giving her too much dramatic stuff that she and not being able to let loose in the way that like it seemed like other people could or like what we're used to seeing her do. And yet I liked her a lot in Shang-Chi where she had sort of a similar type of role. And in that, I thought she fit really well. But here I agree, Meredith. I almost feel like they're trying too hard to give her a character and she's not able to bring it to life in a way that made me want to care about her or her relationship with Renfield. 
nothing about their relationship was anywhere near as interesting as the relationship that Renfield has with Dracula. So much so that I was thinking, you know, if we had just cut out everything with Aquafina and we just like focused on these other two and maybe added a little bit of uh, homoerotic en- energy in there, you know, will they or won't they? Are they really in love? Like sort of okay. thing. I, yes. I would have loved that. Yes. They, they <laughs> I, I would want all the gangland stuff. It, it was just there to distract from this great story, this great like twisted romantic comedy between Renfield and Dracula. Yeah. I could have watched a three hour movie of the two of them just, in that uh, abandoned hospital going back and forth because that they were the strongest part of the movie, hands down. I wanted to see the two of them. I wanted to see Nicholas Holt and Nicholas Cage in couples therapy led by Brandon Scott Jones. Yes. <laughs> oh, my like, God. That would yes. have been hilarious. And instead, we have... Like, I like Aquafina a lot. <laughs> So I feel like I feel so bad, but she's just like, she can't figure out how to make this character work. And I keep wondering if, because like when I saw this, I kept trying to figure this out because they tell us a lot about her character at the beginning, but it's from the other cops in the precinct who we later learn are all corrupt. So it's almost like the movie is trying to gaslight us into thinking one thing about her when it's not entirely true. Like, it's very strange how they set up her character. It doesn't, it doesn't, like, they tell her that she is reaching rock bottom, even though there is no evidence of that. And then later you find out, oh, well, there actually isn't evidence because those people were all corrupt and they were trying to get her to doubt herself. It's a very strange setup for me. Yeah, I think it speaks to the issues of tone, I think, with that character, because it does feel like they are trying to do something a little bit more serious with her arc and attempting that while also not really giving her much to really do with the character either. And it is sort of interesting how I think the relationship between Renfield and Dracula actually does have some of those more serious dramatic moments mixed in with the comedy, but because that material is just a little bit stronger and those performances are more engaging, it that balance works a lot better than whatever they're trying to do with Aquafina. And I think that's one of the reasons yeah. why, even though, yes, I agree with you, Dan, I think Aquafina gets a little bit too much hate uh, online. I do like her. I think that she can be very fun and entertaining. Yes. But oh, yeah. this is not a character that really utilizes her talents well and it's also not really well constructed within the framework of the narrative either and i think that's the reason why she ends up feeling out of place because the character kind of feels out of place well and also like this is it's very clear and this is just like the style of comedies these days and has been for like a decade but it's very clear that there was a lot of improvisation going on here but like Aquafina naturally and her natural comic energy doesn't go to where this character wants to be. So all of those, like you can tell when she's ad-libbing because it feels like her, but this mm-hmm. character is like not her. Right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And those can be funny moments, but it just yes. feels so out of place. Like there's a scene between um, her and her sister and after the meeting, they just walk in opposite corners. And there's like the moment where Aquafina is just sort of like 
doing a bit where she's looking back and walking oh, and yes! back again. Independent of everything, it is funny, <laughs> but it feels also so out of place for that character. Yes! It's so poorly set up that it's like, mm-hmm. I don't understand why we're doing this bit. It is humorous, but it doesn't work for this moment. And it does feel more Aquafina injecting her own personality into this role and not necessarily motivated by what the character would be doing right now. Yes, the same thing with the joke about how, like, you know how everyone says, like, I've seen worse. Well, everything you just did is going to be my I've seen worse. Yeah. Which is just, like, it's a great line that just, just feels so wrong coming out of that character's mouth. Mm-hmm. I think that that's moment. the issue. Yeah. Yeah. It, it definitely feels at odds because, like you said, it's Aquafina, the personality, and the actor versus the character. And... I feel that this movie, when it does focus on the characters of just Renfield and Dracula and tries to dive into issues pertaining to, as you said before, Dan, (laughs) gaslighting, abusive relationships, codependency, there is some good stuff here that could have been very impactful. I think the highlight of the movie, there's like a there's a particular section where Renfield frees himself of Dracula and there's like this eighties mm-hmm. style oh, montage that that of so him good. changing his lifestyle with bright <laughs> new clothes, a modest, cute studio apartment that he gets. It's hilarious how they did this stylistically. And then there's this scene that takes place within the studio apartment between Renfield and Dracula, the dialogue, the acting, the subtext, how you can draw parallels to other abusive relationships that you even know of or you have gone through yourself. Mm -hmm. You're seeing it all play out between the two Nicks in this one scene. And I was like, holy shit, if this was the entire movie, this would have been fantastic. Yes. But Mm -hmm. I think the movie ultimately crumbles under the weight of the studio trying to tick off too many boxes to capture the broadest audience possible. Yeah, it kind of feels that way. Yeah. Like if this had just been more focused and dialed in, I think this could have been really unique and much better. The the like the the potential is there, but it just suffers underneath all this other extraneous stuff that quite frankly the movie doesn't need and it then makes it a tonal mismatch of side characters, plots, humor, and it it all just kind of results in this mixed reception that we're seeing from audiences and critics. Yeah, the stuff outside of Renfield and Dracula very much feels like these are more conventional elements that we would see in kind of action comedies. And it does feel like it takes away from the unique perspective that we would have gotten had we just more so focused on the relationship between those two. And yeah, I do think it, the movie does a great disservice by distracting itself with these other elements that I, I feel like it feels like will be just more broadly appealing, but in doing so you lose this more creative identity that's at the center with this relationship. Because yeah, when we do focus on those two, the movie just soars and I am just so engaged by what's happening and I am so invested in the arcs of those characters. But when we move away from them, then yeah, the movie just is nowhere near as captivating as if we had just stayed there. Yeah, I agree. So what do you guys think of the action scenes in this movie, the way they're shot, choreographed, the gore? 
uh, because one of the criticisms that I had, and I actually sort of danced around this question when I asked Chris McKay it uh, in our interview. I don't really know if I got like the answer that I wanted necessarily, but there's a lot of CGI blood in these fight scenes. <laughs> and I think that this movie is a lot more fun when it leans into the practical makeup and the practical gore. Uh, but that's also maybe just a personal preference of mine. I understand with CGI blood, you can get a desired effect. You can obviously do more because you can just create it however you want. But it then loses a bit of the realism part of it. And that's the kind of stuff that for me would have probably gotten a bigger reaction out of me during some of these really ridiculous fight scenes. I agree, generally speaking, but somehow for this, it, it didn't bother me really them going so heavy with the digital because it was so ridiculous. These fight scenes are like so far over the top. They're like, you know, whatever it is the dish running away with a spoon over the moon, you know, it it's so ridiculous, but it's so much fun. And that is, that's the one reason that I'm like, I would be kind of willing to give this movie some slack with the gangland storyline because the fight scenes are really kind of clever in the violence that they have. And they, as much as the film made me laugh, some of these, those kills made me laugh because they're just so ridiculous. I mean, it did pale in comparison after having watched John Wick Chapter 4. I mean, yeah, but they're well, both well, very... Everything will but like, <laughs> pale in yeah. comparison. That. Yeah, exactly. It, like, that's an unfair comparison, <laughs> yeah. but keep in mind, it was the last movie I saw with action scenes before this, so... Like, very you know. different styles here, and they're going for very different things with those action sequences. <laughs> I did very much enjoy that Renfield's power has to come from him eating bugs. yeah. And so there were a couple of gags with that that I found to be quite amusing as Nicholas Holt was trying to find opportunities within these fight scenes as he's trying to hoard off like all these henchmen. I got to find a bug to eat. That's great. (laughs) Yeah, that was a lot of fun. I feel like the thing to say about the fight scenes in this movie is that (sighs) this movie has three credited editors. Mm, Okay. And at times it kind of feels like that. Yeah, there were a couple of instances where I was like, oh, I wish they would go a little bit more wide. I wish they would cut a little less. I didn't think it was totally sloppy, but it also wasn't really good either. Yeah, there were a, they used slow-mo like more than Zack Snyder. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far, but <laughs> there was a lot of freaking slow-mo in this movie. And I was like, OK, I guess like good on you for trying to have a visual identity yeah i'm not the biggest fan of slow-mo in action scenes honestly especially you know after Zack snyder just made it his carling card and even there was some slow-mo and i know this has already been done but super mario brothers that i wasn't a big fan of so to have like two of those back to back being like all right guys we can we can do some other stuff than using slow-mo but I will give them credit. I didn't know you could stab a person with somebody else's arms. So <laughs> I'm just saying John Wick Chapter 4 barely features any slow-mo. But yeah. Yep. Anyway. I will watch the John Wick <laughs> movies at some point this year, okay? I know I need to 
do that because John Wick apparently is the best action movie so far this year. Or John Wick really. <laughs> yeah, but I would say still that yeah, the the action set pieces in this one are definitely going for something more silly, and for the most part, I do think they are they are good and they do work for me. I I understand your point, man, about the CGI blood, and I think maybe that actually is the element that kept me from like being so invested in them and being like so energized by some of these set pieces. But I do give them a lot of points for creativity, and I think the execution for the most part on this scale. Is, is pretty well done. And I did find myself, like when we got into those moments, I, I did find myself being very entertained by what was happening, even if it didn't quite go into the level of me being like super amped by them. I still thought that they were well executed for what, for the scale that they were being presented on. And I know that some of us already touched upon the humor in this movie. Um, I think that Nick Cage, the reason why his humorous moments work so well is because he's playing it completely straight and committed like i i I don't know do you guys feel that nicholas cage really believes that he's like channeling bella lugosi and like doing a a great acting job or do you think that he is self-aware leaning into a b-movie kind of silly over-the-top style i think that it's somewhere in between because there are definitely moments where you know nicholas cage is like believing that he is channeling that he is Dracula right now. But then there are some reactions of him that scream B-level movie. Like he knows what type of movie he's in. Like the way that he's almost kind of mocking Nicolas Cage uh, in that scene in the studio apartment is I think my favorite scene in the movie. But the way that he kind of mocks him, it doesn't seem like if he was going for stoic Dracula and being intimidating that he would do that. So I don't, I don't think Nicholas Cage knows that he's trying to be that, but I don't know. I, I think he absolutely knows. I think that it's both like he's doing both and he's doing each in different scenes. Like he is very well aware, I think of how he's coming across, but I think he also is playing it kind of seriously. Like he is, doing his version of Bela Lugosi as Dracula, but one that is specific to this movie. Like, if there is anyone who ever understands the assignment at all times, it is Nicolas Cage. The assignment may be really freaking weird and out there, and it may not necessarily be the assignment that was originally planned, but... (laughs) He always knows what he's doing. <laughs> Didn't he say, too, that his favorite performance of Dracula is actually Christopher Lee? Uh, did he? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I feel like I heard that somewhere. Eh. I mean, if he does, like, good taste. My hat's off to you, sir. But <laughs> I haven't yeah. heard that. <laughs> this does actually sort of feel like every Dracula performance sort of rolled up into one Nicolas Cage interpretation. So, yeah, I feel like it is being both serious and self-aware at the same time, and only in a way that Nicolas Cage could really pull off. Not not too many actors are able to kind of take that combination and make it work, but Cage just has that magic with his screen persona and and his presence, and I really just 
absolutely loved him in this film. Like literally every single time he was on screen, it was the highlight of the film. Like to the point where, yeah. you know, I don't think he's going to like make a, an acting lineup for me, but <laughs> at this point, it's definitely one of the best performances of the year. I would say <laughs> I, I oh, just yeah. loved him so much. Oh yeah. Did you guys like him when he was at full power? Or did you guys like him more when he was disfigured and had the gruesome makeup? Well, you know, disfigurement, I did not expect. So when that did show up, I was (laughs) just surprised because I didn't realize that we were going to get this kind of stage of of this character. And then just seeing his utter commitment to to portraying him in this state and yet still be so funny was just amazing. I absolutely love that. I, I... I didn't expect to find that in this movie, and it was so delightful. It's so it almost crazy. felt like we were watching like a stage version of Dracula, and he was <laughs> trying to give like yeah. a very loud performance to the back row through pounds and pounds of makeup. But it worked. <laughs> it worked. It works. Those makeup effects are so great. I loved them. Like the you know when he's like ninety percent char, like it's. <laughs> It's so good. The, like the the folds of skin like hanging off his body like oh my god. Fantastic fantastic work. Like I love practical makeup effects and like they did some really really great ones for this. And but like it would not surprise me if they said like all of these clothes and jewelry, like they all just came from Nick Cage's closet. Yeah. <laughs> that would not <laughs> surprise me at all. Like they, it's so fantastically over the top, but he looks so at home in all that shit. Like ugh. everything about the conception of Dracula in this movie from like the look through the performance is just like, chef's kiss would not have done it any differently. Okay. And what'd you all think of Nicholas Holt here? Because I know that time and time again, we've said that we prefer Nicholas Holt in supporting roles rather than leading roles, but this is a, uh, co-dependent co co-lead, uh, role here, um, between him and Nicholas Cage, I would say. Um, I've heard comparisons to his performance in warm bodies. Yeah. I do think that this is Nicholas Holt being a lot more experienced and refined compared to that. Although I would argue Warm Bodies is a stronger overall movie than this. Um, And still, despite the misgivings I have about the film around him, Nicholas Holt just continues to be a very fascinating, versatile actor who, um, like Josh Parham, I'll kind of follow him all the way to the ends of the earth because there's something about his energy and the way that he's able to deliver this comedic timing, whether it's in something like this or if it's in The Favorite or The Great, um, the, the Menu, uh, you know, just to name some recent projects of his, I really feel that in the last five years or so, he's really come into his own uh, compared to some of his earlier work. He's so I, good at comedy. I, I he's say. so good. Yes. Yeah. He is so – he really understands yeah. how to work within the tone of whatever comedy he's in. And I do look back on – my favorite performances from him, and they are mostly in comedies. And I, while I wouldn't necessarily rank this as particularly high in terms of his work, I, you know, he is the lead. And honestly, I was a little bit nervous about that because usually when Nicholas Holt is the lead in movies, I'm not the biggest fan. But I did think that he held his his weight very well with this film. And yeah, he gets a lot of good comedic moments. But as I said up top, there's even some serious 
moments in here too that I thought were really well done. We mentioned that scene in his apartment where it's the back and forth between him and Cage that I actually think he does have some great emotion shown there. And the scene when Dracula does attack the support group, there's a moment where Cage is monologuing, you know, talking about basically how worthless Redfield is. And there's this look that Holt gives that is like this mixture of anger and resentment, but disappointment and self-pity. And to convey all of that with a single look, I was very, very impressed. And it was another thing. It's like, wow, this is like a very effective, dramatic moment in this kind of silly comedy that is actually working really well. And Holt is selling it. So, yeah, I, I once again, I think that this would have been so much stronger of a showcase had the focus of the narrative been more on these two characters. But I do think that Holt does a pretty good job with this role, and I thought he was really good. Yeah, I'm a big fan of his for, you know, going back to the original UK skins. He's been one of my favorite actors, and I'm never disappointed in pretty much in, in him, at least. And everything I've seen him in, but the projects sometimes leave a little bit to be desired. And it's kind of that way here too. Like he is always doing good work. I just, the material for all of the characters outside Dracula in this is just like a step below the material for Dracula. And he's able to overcome that in moments. Like Josh, that moment at the support group meeting, I clocked that too. Like he's so good. <laughs> in these non-verbal moments at conveying the conflicted emotions of this character. And he gets the comedic stuff too. Like he's always very good at finding the right tone to fit into these larger ensembles or even more intimate ensembles like this is. But on the whole, like I found it hard because everything that he does with Nicolas Cage as Dracula is great and i was really into that relationship and the scenes with when he's with everyone else i did not care whatsoever yeah well hey i didn't realize i was in a group of people that also loves nicholas holt <laughs> i've been uh, a fan of his for a while even i haven't watched uk skins but i know he comes from that like treasure trove of all these great actors from there I still think he's one of the best parts of the X-Men trilogy that they recently did. I loved mm -hmm. him in that. But yeah, I think he's so good when he gets to lean into comedy. And he knew exactly, I think, the tone of what he was going for. I do think his strongest stuff is with Nicholas Holt. And I do think he's usually really great uh, when he has chemistry with another actor. Like I think of Elle Fanning and The Great and Anya Taylor-Joy even in the menu. But yeah, with Aquafina, like, it was dead in the water between them, even though I could tell he was trying to go for that, like, awkward type of, I don't know how to, like, interact with another female. I haven't done that in so long type of way. But I was so disappointed there. And there was, I think, this one scene with Aquafina, like right before all of the cops and the gang members came to the apartment, and they were having like this sentimental moment of explaining like his relationship. I guess I got lost in his blue eyes, and that's what got me through that scene. 
I mean, that is that that is very easy to do to get lost the, in his the, blue eyes. Yes, just the close up of his blue eyes. I'm like, wow, they are very blue right now. I'm, um, you know, and the way that like Dracula could, you know, draw someone in and almost hypnotize them, put them in a trance. That's how I felt about Nicholas Holt here. Um, but yeah, I I'm with you, Dan. I I know that he's so good. I wish that you know, the outside scenes without Nicolas Cage. Like, I just wish that was a little bit stronger that he could really show off his stuff. And I don't know if y'all saw this, but he recorded like this dance number and he posted it on his Instagram. Yes. So in the, I don't know if you watched the end titles, but there were shots of Nicholas Holt kind of in the street that was part of a dance routine, and we didn't get it in the movie. So I was really oh like, come on, we could have had that, and like that could have been a true showcase of everything Nicholas Holt is capable of. Check it out on his Instagram after this because it is delightful. Okay, I have no words. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Biggest sin right there. Biggest. Truly, truly the biggest sin. It annoys me that uh, a lot of things annoy me in this movie, but it particularly annoys me that they did push Nicholas Holt and Aquafina's characters into a more like romantic angle because for so long in this movie, it felt like they weren't quite going there that it was more setting up a, like, friend connection. But then they decided to sort of go in the more romantic direction, and I'm like, you get, they don't have chemistry. Why did you do that? It doesn't work. It doesn't make sense. Ugh. No, not not at all. To the point where, honestly, I I don't even really know what the evidence is that they yeah. have, they're supposed to be romantically connected because their chemistry does not read that in the slightest. So even the attempt at it, I even knew about that going in, and I was like, really? Like, they're supposed to be a couple at some point? Or hinting at that? Because there is nothing in their chemistry, nor in really how they interact with one another that comes close to suggesting that. So it's really, really bizarre. It just feels like there was... there, there, There are scenes missing from this movie. Like, that's what it feels like. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Like there's kind of this um this backstory again with Renfield with his his family that's brought up that yes! I really yeah! thought was going to come back later. That it seemed like they were setting that up to have some kind of payoff and nothing happened. That it does feel like there's a lot of elements in this story that were introduced that I guess for the sake of brevity, we're cut to just get this to 90 minutes, but it does feel like we're kind of missing some chunks of character development that would kind of feel necessary to pay off some of these arcs. Agreed. And that's why at this rate, because of this conversation, I feel like if they would have cut the Aquafina stuff entirely, we would have had like the breathing room for some of this like backstory stuff, particularly with Renfield and his family. As soon as he pulled out the picture, I was like, okay, so is he going to find, like, his relative, like, his last living relative at this point? Like, I thought that was going to get paid off or something. And then, oh, yeah, I was a little disappointed by that. You've watched them in unforgettable adventures, love affairs, 
and tragedies. Now it's time to hear their own remarkable stories. From the makers of Death of a Rockstar and Death of a Sports Star, this is Death Ready. of a Film Star. Starring Heath Ledger, Marilyn Monroe, Chadwick Boseman, Robin Williams, Carrie Fisher, and Bruce Lee. Search for Death of a Film Star in your podcast app. You've seen them tell stories. Now it's time to tell theirs. All right, let's uh, toss it over now to final thoughts. Anything that we didn't mention that you want to bring up or something you want to reiterate, we can go over to Josh Parham first. Um, well, one thing I do just want to shout out is, you know, I don't think like a lot of this movie has like the best craft elements to it. You know, I think they're fine for what the movie is trying to do. But the one that was impressive to me was in the abandoned hospital. And we get this shot of like Dracula's throne or something. And there's just yes. all these blood bags that are behind him that are backlit. And it looks really, really cool. And mm-hmm. like I said, there's not too many moments that I would say like excellent craft work in this movie, but I really did like that particular piece that they set up. Cause it was so striking. It's so creative and unique. And again, kind of more on the focus of Dracula and Redfield. If we had more stuff in this movie, that was, kind of geared towards that tone with those characters would have been so much better. So I, I just wanted to shout that out in particular because I really did love that element. Okay, nice. Dan Bear, how about you? <sighs> I just, this movie is really disappointing because it had so much potential and I feel like it still has a lot of potential, but it's in its final form. And that's just, it's really it's so disappointing when that happens, when it's just like still all this unrealized potential when, you know, we get this final cut and I don't know where things went wrong. You know, you can find a lot of evidence that it's in different areas of the production or post-production process, but it's frustrating. Like I even, we didn't really talk about her, but like I kind of loved what Shora Egdashlu was doing, but given that, the tone of that storyline seemed to be a little more serious than what was happening with Renfield and Dracula. It almost didn't work. Like I, I didn't know what to make of her character or her performance choices. Again, it felt like there was something missing. Although like the line that Ben Schwartz has when he first discovers Dracula and he's like, well, I guess I'm going to have to take you to see my mother. Hilarious. <laughs> Hilarious. Oh, like yeah. some, it's so frustrating because like this movie can pull off good jokes, but it doesn't have enough of them, like nearly enough to justify like the whole thing. I really, really love the parts of this movie that are good, but so much of it is not that like it's I would recommend it to people, but it's just really hard to like it's like, yeah, I I guess you can go see it. I don't know. It does feel like there's stuff with her missing from this yeah. movie too. Cause like, yeah, she's so good in everything and I I love her, but that is a character that does feel like there should be more to do here. And I almost feel like, yeah. I, I don't know if this is confirmed or not, but I've had heard other people talk about this, that, you know, 
the family's name is Lobo. Yeah. Lobo is Spanish for wolf. So was there supposed to be like a werewolf element to this? You know, sort of Dracula. The sequel, Josh. The sequel. I mean, I guess. But (laughs) it's. Yeah, but it's. uh, Underworld with Renfield and Friends. It I feels it. like <laughs> that particularly feels like a very clumsy way to set up another potential, like, you know, franchise universe that was just like so ill-advised. Just don't just stop. Just don't do that. Let it happen yeah. naturally. Like it did with John Wick. I never thought that we would be referencing John Wick so much in this. Yeah. Review. <laughs> <laughs> they have so much in common. Yeah. <laughs> so much. Yeah. I was just going to add that something that I did enjoy about the movie that we didn't really bring up was the soundtrack. I was a big fan of the needle drops that they used, um, particularly in the fight scenes, like uh, my chemical romance, David Wilkins, Lizzo, like it's always impressive to me when you can make a soundtrack and use songs that aren't overdone. So I was really proud of them, though I wish they would have used Let the Bodies of the Floor at one point, but it's one of the <laughs> it'd be a little too on the nose, but at the same time, I couldn't help, but as I left the theater being like, man, if they would have thrown that in, I would have given this a five-star movie, but here we are. Uh, for my final thoughts, I'll just reiterate, love the opening black and white montage Thought that was fantastic creative choice on McKay's part. Which we had more of it. Yes. Yeah, I think moments like that are where this movie really shine. It's where it's trying to separate itself. I think the moments that feel like studio interference feel exactly like that, studio interference. Um, and as far as like a recommendation, I think for hardcore Nick Cage fans, sure, I get it. I think you have to suffer through a little bit in order to get to the good stuff. But at the same time, listen, we survived Vampire's Kiss, you know? I, I, I think that Nicolas Cage in, in a vampire movie is something that, you know. That we need more of? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> a lot more of. <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't rank it up there with like some of his best work or anything like that. But it's fun. It's a good time. I would give it on a scale of one to 10. I went back and forth between a five and a six, but because I really, really enjoyed every moment that the Knicks were on screen together and because they're on screen for a majority of the movie, I would give it a six out of 10, but it's like such a light recommendation to the point that I'm not that enthusiastic about it. When all is said and done, I had moments where I was enjoying myself, but on the whole, I'll forget it in a couple of days, I'm sure. Josh, what about you? I am also going to give it a 6 out of 10. There's even times in this movie where I even enjoyed it more than that. Like, it came close to being, like, a really full-throated recommendation. But as is, yeah, there's just so many elements to it that do bring it down, that distract from the stuff that actually does work about it, that I can't really be that enthusiastic to recommend it. But I did have fun with it in the moment. And while... While it is rather disposable, I still will admit that as I was watching it, I was mostly entertained by it. And that is really uh, down to what the the Knicks are doing. So for them, they kind of push it just into the like lightly recommended territory, even though it's not a very strong one. Okay, Meredith? 
Yeah, I think I'm just going to give it a 7 out of 10 for this. There's a lot that I do enjoy, and I think both the Knicks are worth the price of admission of seeing Renfield. However, from this conversation and really just thinking through, like, yeah, all these additional elements that kind of just drag down this 90-minute movie and also feeling like we're just missing so much, like... I don't know if this is my, yeah, I don't know if I would recommend this as like, oh my gosh, you need to see this now type of thing. But at the same time, I did have a lot of fun with it. And seeing Nicolas Cage drinking human blood out of a martini glass with, I think, a finger hanging out of it was like eyeballs. Perfect. 10 out of 10 for me. I I love seeing Nicolas Cage just lean in and just get to do whatever he wants. And for me as a Nicolas Cage fan, that's all that's all you could ever ask for. All right. Dan Bear. Yeah, I'm kind of with Josh almost exactly on this. Like it it's a six out of ten, and the parts that I enjoyed, I really did enjoy almost everything with Renfield and Dracula in this is from a much better movie. Like it's you know, seven or eight out of ten. But there's a lot of muck that you have to crawl through in order to get to that stuff and unfortunately a lot of that is just kind of dull and boring and makes the film feel longer than it is which is sad because it's relatively short it's not even two hours not even close but oof and it's especially sad because like if you're going to reboot a property like Dracula like this is how I want you to do it they come up with a really original, interesting new angle to look at these characters. But th- that new angle almost feels like it's not even the real purpose for making this because of how they, because of just how much else they throw at it, gets lost. And that's, um, that's a disappointment. So you have six out of 10, a soft recommendation. Although, like, if you're interested at all in seeing this, I think that like seeing theater with an audience that is going to have reactions to the comedy and to the gore, like that's the way to do it as opposed to sitting at home where you're by yourself and a lot of the jokes will just die. It's a good point. Yeah, I agree. So Oscar potential makeup. Yes or no? Should be, but the Academy is so not into horror and specifically horror effects makeup that like it makes me sad if the movie was better then like it might stand a little more of a chance but even at that i don't know yeah like maybe it'll show up on the short list but i doubt it i kind of feel like this movie is going to be quickly forgotten once we get towards the end of the year especially and i agree should be definitely considered because it's wonderful makeup work but yeah given the track record with horror in general and especially horror makeup i i would be rather surprised if this actually ended up getting a nomination yeah i would be too i would be too I really don't have anything else more to add than that because I don't think that there's anything else in this that I would consider Oscar worthy. I mean, I think Nicolas Cage. I, uh, yeah, personally, it's I think not so. going to happen <laughs> in a million years, but I would love it. And I would campaign him as supporting actor 
and he's one of the best of the year. I will be shocked if he's not in my top five by the end of the year. Okay. Oh, he's he's so good. I wouldn't also be surprised if they pull one of those moves at the Globes where it's like this is a supporting category, but because yeah. it's also comedy, we'll bump him lead, and he could get yeah. you know a lead actor and a comedy nomination at the Globes. That wouldn't surprise me either. But once again, just given the nature of the movie and when it's coming out, I would be a little surprised if it did happen. But I agree with you, Dan. Like at this moment, this is absolutely one of my favorite performances of the year so far, and I think. It, I, you know, I don't know what the end of the year will look like, but he could be a contender for my own personal supporting actor lineup because he's so good in this film. High praise. Man, I, I'm viewing this as just a forgettable, fun time. And y'all talking about best of the year over here. My Lord. Well, I mean, it's all <laughs> just for that right one now. element. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. All you need is one good performance to make it stand out. And Nicolas Cage is operating at a level that, you know, it could stick around for the rest of the year. Don't knock it until you try it. New York Film Critics Circle Best Actor winner, Nicolas Cage. Renfield. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, that'll do it here for our review of Renfield over at the Next Best Picture podcast. Meredith Loftus, tell everyone that's listening right now where they can find you on the internet. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Meredith Loftus. Dan Bear. You can find me on Twitter at Dance and Dan on Film, on Letterboxd and Post at Dance and Dan. And Josh Parham. You can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at JR Parham. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening as always, and we will see you all next time. Martin, host of Pit Pass Indy. Each week, I go behind the scenes of the NTT IndyCar series and introduce our listeners to the biggest stars of IndyCar, which features the Indianapolis 500 as its cornerstone event. The men and women that compete in IndyCar may be the bravest athletes in all of sport as danger lurks around every corner. They are able to look danger in the eye without flinching. That is why the NTT IndyCar Series features the best racing on the planet. Join me every week as we talk to the stars of IndyCar, including the legends of the Indianapolis 500 on Pit Pass Indy from Evergreen Podcast.